a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for joining in today. We are going to have an epic session of Wrong Think. I'm joined by my friend Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Eric, how are you today? Well, I'm pretty good. I'm trying to cling to my clunker. How about you? Clinging to, I am definitely clinging to my clunker. <laughs> I saw your, your new article go up uh, earlier this morning, and it, it's titled, No Cash for Your Clunker, but... Eric, this yep. is this is we talk about some pretty disturbing developments, you know, as we meet each week. But this is one of the more disturbing I've seen in a while. Yeah, well, this is unfolding in the EU, but uh, never fear. What happens there tends to come over here, and it's I think the other arm of the pincer. We've already got the first arm, which is trying to push everything that's not an electric car out of new car dealerships, but. Since there's been so much hesitancy among the populace to take up ownership of an EV for a variety of perfectly sound reasons, uh, the next thing they'll do will be to uh, take away our clunkers, as they put it. You know, they, they like to use language like that to gaslight us and to shame us, meaning that uh, our, our older cars that are paid for and, and operate quite well, thank you very much, and by the way, don't pollute, but nonetheless, they like to frame them as being clunkers, you know, mm-hmm. gas-spewing dangerous vehicles that should be taken off the road. Last time under Obama, at least it was voluntary. You know, they, they dangled the carrot in front of people and said, here, we'll give you some money to throw away your perfectly operable vehicle as an inducement to go out and buy a new car. Well, what's going on in Europe under something called the End of Life Vehicle Directive uh, if your vehicle doesn't meet the current uh, safety and emission standards that are equivalent over there, then it's deemed to be waste, and then it will be scrapped, and you won't have a choice. They'll actually seize your vehicle and just throw it away for you without giving you any money, by the way. I mean, we just talked about cash for clunkers last week and, and what yep. what it accomplished and, and the, the, the incredible amount of waste. But, yeah, this is, this is some next-level stuff, and it definitely seems in keeping with what we've we've been seeing about – um, you know, that push to get us all into EVs. And by the way, I yep. saw some vindication for you this past week. Uh, what was it, like a 1,000 car dealers that had, had said or signed a letter to, to the, I think it was the Biden administration or some federal 4, agency. 000. Yeah, there, there was, I mean, they were saying, look, we're, these vehicles are piling up on our lots. People yep. aren't buying them. Back off on yep. pushing the mandates. Yeah, they, it was a good start, and it was 4,004 dealers. Uh, however, uh, they did not address the underlying premise of this existential threat, which is the lie that it's absolutely necessary for us to uh, to get rid of the cars that we have in favor of electric vehicles. Because if we don't, the climate is going to change. Mm. You know, they soft pedal on that. They're afraid to touch that. Uh, just as so many people during the pandemic were afraid to hurt the feelings of the masters or to question what they were told was the science with regard to the safe and effective vaccines. That's the key to this. You've got to question and challenge what these authoritarians are, are trying to use to, 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 to suppress your raising of your hand and your asking the questions and your critical thinking about, about these issues. Wow. So, you know, I think you're wise to pay attention to what's happening in Europe. They do seem to lead out. They seem to have been especially uh, true believers when it comes to the whole, you know, climate crisis thing. By the way, have, did you see Hillary Clinton's uh, um, snippet? 
from from the climate conference. I, I don't even know where this one's taking place, but uh, did you see her comments yesterday? I get refresh me. I did see them, and she, what was she saying? Something about how many people have died as exactly. a result of extreme temperature. Yeah, we've, we've finally started tracking deaths, which means I can only assume that we're going to convert climate change into a health crisis. And let's see what happened with the last health crisis we had. Seems like that one didn't go so well. Well, sure, and it's the same modus operandi. You know, last time what they did was characterize virtually every single death, including the deaths of people in their nineties who had cancer, as being. Uh, the result of COVID as opposed to with COVID. Big difference there. And I'm sure they're going to do the same thing now. So, um, you know, whenever an elderly person uh, on a hot July day has a stroke or dies, it will obviously be the result of climate change rather than old age. And and by the way, I have to admit, there's kind of, there. it's funny, some people are catching on. Uh, maybe you saw the video footage of that house in, uh, was it in Arlington, Virginia, that blew up? No, I missed it. What happened? Um, the, the police had surrounded a house because there were reports of shots being fired or something. Um, and it looks it looks like a gas explosion. But, I mean, vehicles are assembled outside and suddenly the whole place, boom, disintegrates. And and some someone posted, oh, I wonder, I hope nobody died of COVID or something like that. I thought, all right, there's a few <laughs> people still get it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's become so blatant that, uh, you know, all but a few diehards have become somewhat skeptical of what's going on, but more deeply, I think, because it's no longer merely a kind of rhetorical abstraction that people play, uh, pay a sort of pro forma deference to. You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing to, to trot out uh, a nostrum about something. Oh, yeah, you know, it's bad that the climate is changing. Yeah, you know, I'm all for being uh, being a good steward, et cetera, and so forth. But now the rubber's hitting the road, and, and we're talking about real-world impacts on everyday living. You know, people are, are facing the prospect of having their gas-powered appliances declared illegal and potentially even seized from their homes. They're, they're being forced out of their cars and given the choice of buying an, an EV they can't afford or walking. These are real threats to real people, and it's making people get, you know, what, what they should have been all along, a little bit more due diligent and looking into things and saying, hey, wait a minute. You know, it's, it's, it, this, is not, this, is, this is something I need to know more about. I want to find out whether this is really necessary. And, hey, wait a minute, why are the people who are telling us to do all these things not uh, abiding by the, the, the strictures of their, uh, of their own um, orders toward us? you got John Kerry jetting around in his private plane. you got Obama living in his sea-level Martha's Vineyard mansion. Hmm, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. Don't they believe in the climate changing? Oh, for real. By the way, my, my uh, daughter... And her husband uh, had a birthday to celebrate for a family member in Munich, Germany. And mm-hmm. uh, they, she was sending me all these pictures of this in, insane amount of snow that uh, that had fallen on the Munich area. Yep. And, it, and it was very interesting because uh, flying in and out of there, um, I saw pictures of jets, you know, immobilized on the, uh, on the you know, taxiways and tarmac. Uh, because you know they they couldn't fly off to the to the global warming conference because they were frozen to the runway. Ironic. Well, that's why they had to change the verbiage. That's why they now use their preferred term, their, like their preferred preferred pronoun. They 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 call it climate change, and it's ingenious because uh, it can be anything. If it's warm, oh, it's climate change. If it's cold, it's climate change. Literally anything that happens, they can then point to it and say, "Look, the climate is changing." Harem scarum. Heads we win, tails you lose. Yes. And, you know, people ought to be suspicious on that basis alone because science is supposed to be about specific things. You know, you make a particular claim about something. Okay, well, let's look at it and examine it in the face of the evidence and see whether it stands up. 
but it's almost impossible to question climate change because it's not even definable. What does that even mean? No, it, it makes sense. And once you start to see this, you know, you start to realize, hey, somebody is yanking my chain or trying to make me afraid. But look at what they're what they're insisting. We have to give up in order to, quote, save the planet. And you notice it's always the common theme. They, they present some sort of scare. Uh, and then the scare is used to justify, guess what? <clears throat> we do uh, with less. We give up our freedoms. We do what they say. That's it's like almost a mathematical axiom, and that also ought to give people pause and make them think about uh, the motives behind what they're being told by these people. You know, I, I don't want to say that it's radicalizing me. I think that happened a long time ago, but it really sharpens my desire to increase my self-sufficiency. And I'm not just talking about, you know, hoarding internal combustion engines so much as I'm looking at, uh, you know, what am I doing to provide alternate transportation? I, do I have a good, reliable bicycle? Do I have a motorcycle? Do I have something that I can fall back, a wagon that I can transport things in if push comes to shove? Sure. And there's also, I think, expanding your mental horizons and being more mentally self-sufficient. You know, we have, uh, as a modern industrial society, um, become very specialized. Most of us get an education or skill in one particular thing that we, we do all the time. That's how we earn our living. We focus on that. We get really good at that. But then we don't know much about anything else, right? So then we have to find somebody else who does know about something that we need. For example, an electrician or a plumber or a farmer or whatever it might be. And that has made us kind of vulnerable and dependent on other specialty people. So, you know, it would be a sound policy to learn more about as many things as you can so that you can handle and take care of more things on your own, I think. No, I'm, I'm with you there. And uh, you and I have talked about this, you know, at the personal level. You know, it includes things like staying out of debt. It includes things like producing more of your own food. If you can keep small livestock like chickens or, or goats or things like that, do it. Yep. I don't think Absolutely. people would regret it. In the same sense that people who uh, rejected the jab from a couple of years ago, I can't think sure. of a single person I've talked to who said, man, I sure wish I'd have got that. And the boosters. Yeah, it's interesting. Isn't it? It? They were telling us all about vaccine hesitancy, but I've never heard much about vaccine regret. Yeah, not a peep. And by the way, you know, to get back to your point, uh, all of us know that good feeling that we get when we manage to figure out how to do something and do it competently, whether it's uh, install a door at home or fix something that's wrong with the car, whatever it might be, where you actually figured it out on your own and, and did it, as opposed to you know, having to pick up the phone and call somebody else and, and get them to do it and, you know, for you and then, of course, have to pay them for it. Here, here. Hold that thought. We're going to come back and continue our conversation, our Wrong Think session with Eric Peters from Eric Peters Autos. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. By the way, if you go to my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com, you'll find a link to Eric's website. Going to be time well spent. All right. It's, uh, you know, the uh, the orange man has been very busy here lately. And, uh, Eric, I'm not so emotionally invested in the 2024 presidential election, but it's a little disheartening when, when I hear ostensibly our alternative to Biden Incorporated, uh, nonetheless towing the line for things that are that are destructive or um, just flat out not good for us and for, you know, all things automotive. Talk to me about the uh, the ethanol uh, debacle. Yeah. 
I, you know, I kind of feel dispirited about the whole thing. It's like being presented with the choice of Hitler on the one hand and Stalin on the other. Right. Hmm, that's a hell of a good choice. Uh, well, we've got Trump, you know, who was presented as, as the avatar of liberty and freedom, pandering to one of the most egregious rent-seeking lobbies that there is, you know, at least prior to the pharmaceutical cartels taking pride of place. And that is the ethanol lobby. And he did so out in Iowa because he's wanting to, to win the primary out there. And so he gave a long, windy speech about how good he's been to the ethanol industry and how when he was president, he changed the rules so as to allow, allow he put it that way, allow the sale of ethanol uh, 12 months out of the year as opposed to just during certain months. What he meant was forced people to buy ethanol because it's a mandate. Uh, you know, it's not as though it's a free market out there and people are saying, oh, I'd like to have gas that's 10% ethanol alcohol, there's effectively no choice. The, the government has put this renewable fuels mandate uh, into effect that forces all refineries, basically, to adulterate their gas with ethanol as a sop to the agribusiness lobbies that are very powerful out in the Midwest. And you've got Trump pandering to these people because, you know, that's, that's, that's politics. So you've got his corporatism on the one hand, and then you've got Biden's communism on the other hand. And that brings us back to Hitler versus uh, Stalin. Yeah, the the choices seem to be between bad and worse. And you know, look, I'm I'm grateful for for the good things that Trump did when he was in office. I got to admit, though, the the more the the crescendo builds up for for next year's election, the less I'm convinced that uh, that we're being given any kind of a choice that's going to measurably change things. Well, I mean, this was a bit much, but after all, Hitler did build the autobahns. Right. And he, he, did, he did he did help to, you know, to to to, uh, to launch the Volkswagen Beetle. And I remember there was this T-shirt that was popular back in the 80s. And it said, what about all the good things Hitler did? Oh. And that's kind of like. <laughs> wow. Wow. And that's kind of where we are with Trump. It's very depressing, you know, because the man doesn't take any principled stands for liberty on anything. It's always some situational thing. And it's that same right left dynamic where. It's not about leaving people alone and respecting their rights. It's about, well, I think that in this particular case, people should be forced to do something or pay something. But those people on the other side have a different idea about what people should be forced to do and to pay for. And they squabble over the particulars. So I, I got to ask you this, because I think you're one of the voices of reason out there that, uh, that I've come to trust over the years. Um, how much attention should a person give to, for instance, the, the presidential election. I know it's going to be the, the center of the universe moving forward towards that election, but realistically, how, how much time and energy are you going to invest in, you know, watching what's happening and, and you know, maybe trying to shift the, the needle there? You know, you bring up a really, really excellent point. David Knight's talked about this. I've talked about it with him as well. And I think it would behoove us, uh, not just practically, but psychologically and emotionally, to focus more on what's within our control, meaning our own local communities at the local level, getting involved with the school board, for example, getting involved in the local elections, things like that, where you actually have a degree of influence that you simply do not have at the federal level. The left has corrupted this country by doing the same thing. They corrupted things at a local level, and then they got more powerful and rose up the food chain. The way to reverse this is to restore health to things at the local community, county, and state level, in my opinion. I, I would not disagree. And I'll give you a good example of, of why you have to pay attention at that local level. Um, you know I've been following Ammon Bundy's uh, battle with, yep. with a health care uh, behemoth. Uh, they took possession of his home. He and his family had to flee the state of Idaho uh, in the last couple of weeks, 
and and St. Luke's and its lawyers have taken possession of his home, yep. and they're still gunning for him, for him, saying, well, you know, there's a, a warrant out for his arrest for contempt, a $250,000 bail set for a guy who a judge says disrespected the system by not showing up to a civil trial. Yeah, it's egregious. Now, you consider if you had a county where you had a good sheriff and uh, a good judge who wouldn't go along with that sort of thing, then that wouldn't have happened. And that is something that we have a degree of control over, uh, particularly as regards sheriffs, which tend to be elected rather than appointed. So really important to keep in mind who your local sheriff is uh, and, and also all the other local officials from the school board all the way up the food chain. Well, it's I, I only point out Ammon's case just because, well, number one, I am friends with the guy. I know him. But it's it's all the angst that's coming out of Washington, D.C., that big uh, melodrama, really doesn't have that much direct impact on us personally. But this is tyranny at the local level, and it's it's just sickening. It's appalling. It's incredible that these sorts of things can happen. Uh, but again, we do have more redress available at the local level. You know, these people who are doing these things tend to live in the community, and if the community decides... This is not acceptable. We're not going to tolerate this. You can make things hot for people like that. Well, you know, what can we do about somebody like Joe Biden? He doesn't care. Yeah, no you know, much. we can rant and rave all we want to, but, you know, he's so distant and removed from us that whatever we say, and no matter what we do in terms of our vote, it really doesn't matter to him, does it? No. And and like like you say, there there's a lot that comes out of Washington that's in, intended to keep us, you know, occupied and and looking at, at what's happening there as if it's the the number one thing in the universe. But it's little mm-hmm. stuff. Like if you're if your sheriff and in this case Ammon's sheriff um, bent the knee to the judiciary instead of saying, "Look, I'm a peace officer. I'm accountable to the to the people who yep. elected me, and I'll keep the peace." He signed an affidavit saying, "I'll do whatever the court tells me to do." It's like that's like yeah, selling your soul in a buyer's market. Well, and that's exactly what they've done. And, you know, the contra example of that, I can't remember which community it is, but there was one county, I think it was in the Northeast, where the sheriff said that they would be a sanctuary city. I think it might have been within the state of New York uh, with regard to some of the, the, you know, the gun laws that were being passed by the state legislature. They said, he said, I'm not going to enforce these things. These are, these are not constitutional. I consider them illegal. I will not be a party to enforcing them. That's the kind of thing that we need to do. Hear, hear. And, and I would encourage people, if you're going to be active politically, probably locally is your best bet. But, but it's also good to create some distance between yourself and, and politics as much as possible. If you can depoliticize your life to the extent you can reduce your governmental footprint, you're going to find a lot more happiness there. No question. Absolutely. Focus on your family. Focus on your ability to take care of yourself and your family. Uh, and the less government will concern you, or rather the less you'll need government. And for that reason, you'll have less reason to be concerned about government. Well, it's an ongoing battle, and I know it gets tiresome and people are starting to be fatigued, but um, let's let's take the last minute or so that we have here. Why is it, why is it worth it to fight, even though it sometimes feels utterly futile? Well, because it's, why is it worth it to not crawl into the grave and die? You know, we're alive. We're here for a reason, for a period of time, and, it, and it's to make the most uh, of our lives and to make the world better for those who come after us. Uh, you know, if we're just going to roll over and give up, there's really not much point to getting out of bed in the morning, much less even being alive anymore, is there? Yeah, I wonder if, uh, the, you know, the powers that be or the people who really want control, I wonder if they haven't been most successful in persuading us that, you know, this really isn't that big of a deal, and these chains aren't that heavy, and look, they're kind of bright. I mean, I have nice chains. 
You know, how about you? Well, yeah, they, you know, they've been very successful at doing that with the younger generation by giving them virtual this and virtual that and making it seem as though it's somehow a, a positive thing to sit in your parents' basement playing video games at 35. You know, oh, who needs a house? Who needs a car? Uh, I, I'll just get my um, I'll get my um, I'll get my check from the government and I'll get the latest video game and I'll be happy. Yeah, I think until the social uh, credit scores really start to kick in, people aren't going to quite make the connection <laughs> between why right. why it matters to be free. Eric, I appreciate right. your efforts each and every day. You're posting great content at ericpetersautos.com. And thanks for uh, thanks for participating in these wrong think sessions on a weekly basis. Oh, you bet, Brian. It's my pleasure. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Again, thank you so much uh, for those of you who uh, who tune in day after day. And look, this is not the biggest audience by a, by a long shot. But then again, I'm not going for quantity. And, and that may sound like cope. Oh, well, Brian, it's because you know you can't attract a big audience. No, uh, there's a very specific kind of audience that I am looking to attract. And I, I, I came to peace with this a few years ago when I realized the message I'm sharing is really not one that uh, that everybody is prepared to hear. And this doesn't mean we're better. We're up here in the lofty, you know, hierarchy of humanity and everybody else is beneath us somehow. It's just that all of us at some point in our lives, and I mean everybody, has been brainwashed to some degree or another. And at some point, there are some of us who catch on to it. It takes others, you know, a little bit longer. Uh, My point is that we're all somewhere, you know, trying to find our way out of the swamp of misinformation and uh, so you got to be patient. People are at different stages of the journey. Some just very, you know, getting the very start of trying to find their way out. Some are pretty far along and thoughtfully have left some markers for us, you know, little piles of stones, cairns to, to show us that uh, we're, we're on the right path. So I don't look down on people who haven't yet figured it out. I do want to help them, you know, kind of pull the wool off, pull the wool from over their eyes so they can see what's happening. That's why I was fascinated when I saw this uh, this essay from Donald Jeffries. This is from his Substack about uh, the sheeple or we the people versus the sheeple. Now, I know sheeple, that's kind of a, well, a derogatory thing. You're comparing people to sheep. Honestly, though, looking at how a majority of people reacted over the last three, almost four years, is, is it not safe to say that uh, that a lot of people kind of went with, you know, that herd mentality? Ah, where's it safe? Where, where, my mask? Okay, I'll put it on. You know, the jab? How many times do I need to get one? By the way, I don't necessarily agree with this in the sense that I don't do this on a regular basis. Or I, I don't actually, I can't remember the last time I did this to anybody. But I do see people sometimes when someone's getting really um, vitriolic, say, on Twitter, they'll tell them, go get another booster. <laughs> or, or you you sound like someone who's vaccinated. I, and I know it feels good in the moment, right? I just laid a sick burn on them. Not sure that's really the most productive thing to do. But I want you to hear Donald Jeffrey's take on his complex love-hate relationship with we the people versus the sheeple. He says, despite my self-evident cynicism and my reflexive skepticism, I'm basically a trusting soul. 
even though I know how corrupt and unreliable so many people are, still, I instinctually give them the benefit of the doubt. Until proven otherwise, I assume most people aren't dishonest and take them at face value. Now, he says, this kind of delicate balancing act is how I managed to issue blanket condemnations of the sheeple while still being concerned about the welfare and the rights of the people, which includes those who are oblivious to the criminal tyranny all around them. It's not easy being a populist, of promoting power to the people when so many of them are brainwashed enough to, to lash out at messengers like him, who are simply trying to defend their civil liberties. He says, who knows how many of them would support throwing people like me into FEMA camps for pointing out how badly they're being screwed. They've been conditioned to act like Pavlovian dogs waiting for the bell to ring. He says, the odd thing about the sheeple who constitute a clear majority in Decaying America 2.0 is that most of them are skeptical of salesmen or salespersons, for example. Sales transpersons. <laughs> they blanch it. Anything that seems too good to be true. They hate get-rich-quick schemes, even if they were offered a perfectly legitimate check for a substantial amount of money without any contract to sign that roped them into something nefarious, they would still regurgitate the adage. There's no such thing as a free lunch. The sheeple really, really hate free lunches, even when they're doing the eating. So he says, I thoroughly researched how there are free lunches in this rigged economy in my book, Survival of the Richest, but free lunches are only for the elite. He's got a point. Now he says, I understand this mindset to some degree. I hang up immediately on cold callers. Now, that most of them are obviously from India and are assigned ridiculously inappropriate American names, I sometimes respond with a snappy, not interested, and your name is not Kyle. But the poor beggars at stoplights often get a few bucks from me. However, he says the sheep mentality is to suspect that these pathetic individuals have a devious ulterior motive. I've seen them standing at lights in really cold weather or during a heavy rain, and that's a lot of trouble to go to for a dollar here or there. Doesn't just standing there in inclimate weather indicate some kind of industriousness? He says, I don't consider that laziness. But while the sheeple are skeptical about those identifying as salespersons and seemingly homeless people asking for a handout, they're shockingly acceptive of the institutions that have failed almost all of them. You know, the ones that constructed a marketplace that ensures over 70% of them live from paycheck to paycheck? That permits about the same percentage to save less than $1,000 for emergencies? A system that has turned the bottom half of the country into the biggest underclass the world has ever seen with only, one collect with only a collective 1% of the total wealth in their portfolios? Well, to be totally accurate, actually less than 1%. Now, he says the sheeple may question an individual insurance salesman, but they don't question the insurance industry itself. He says, I went over just how disastrous insurance is for almost all of us in survival of the richest. If you have life insurance, the only way to win is to die as soon as you can. You ha must have auto insurance for the privilege of driving. The sheeple love to remind you of that. Driving is a privilege, not a right. They'll babble confidently. Just make your payments on time. You'll be fine. But if you get in an accident every 30 years or so, your rates will go up even if you weren't at fault. Or you might even have your policy canceled. So insurance is essentially a racket where money is extorted for things that might happen. But if they do happen, you'll be in trouble. And again, unless you die, then you win. Oh, that is painful, but it rings true. By the way, my family does not appreciate it when I remind them, you know, I'm worth a lot more to you guys dead than I am alive. They're like, oh, I don't talk that way. 
but it doesn't change the fact I really am worth more dead than I am alive. The sheeple don't understand any of the real rackets, says Donald Jeffries. He says the schemes that all the fake homeless people in the world couldn't dream up, Medicare, for instance. I think I'm the only person in the world to be pointing out just what a bad deal Medicare is. Let's see, you pay into this system your entire adult working life. When you receive this fantastic benefit after retiring, you're still required to pay a monthly fee. I think it's more than $150 now. And your fantastic benefit only covers 80% of your health care costs. Now, he says, when I was a strapping lad way back in the halcyon days of America 1.0, that was the crappiest plan a worker could get. For years, 100% of my health care costs were covered under my employee plan. 20% of any medical cost can cause financial ruin. And Bernie Sanders wants Medicare for all. Many Republicans, of course, don't want Medicare at all. They don't want any social safety net. It's communistic. As Rush Limbaugh stated before he died of cancer, the scourge that was introduced into the world a little over 100 years ago and could be cured the same way it was introduced, health care is not a right. It's a privilege, just like driving. You buy the health care that the rigged marketplace allows you to afford. Don't live beyond your means. If you must die of cancer, do it and be quiet about it. Why should the taxpayers have to pay for all of your wrong choices? It's not like the taxpayers are paying a lot more for the despicable intelligence agencies, for instance, whose budgets remain top secret, a slew of other unconstitutional agencies, and for roads and power grids that remain unrepaired. He says, while most Americans seem to have lost their sense of empathy, the sheeple are in their own category in this regard. They're the ones who drove around with bumper stickers like, crap happens, then you die, and he who dies with the most toys wins. As far back as the 1970s, they used to utter the charming, sounds like a personal problem to me, when some rabble-rouser like me would question something. Not all that long ago, during the early days of America 2.0, a bunch of sheeple mobbing it up on Black Friday paid no attention to a man who had dropped dead in an, in an, an aisle at Target. Couldn't even call 911. Clean up on aisle 7. Who else but sheeple would venture out on a Black Friday? <laughs> For great imaginary deals. The sheeple are the ones who take out their rage on the roadways. Now, sometimes they do tailgate and speed, but at least from my experience, he says they're control freaks that want to frustrate other drivers. Maybe I'm just unlucky, but he says literally every driver I get behind goes too slow. The only speeders are always behind me. Ironclad rule of the road, slow in front, fast behind. They're the ones who hesitate for 10 seconds at a 30-second green light, and almost none of the sheeple behind them will hit their horns. If they do... They risk an aggressive sheeple who surely won't be aggressive about the loss of freedom jumping out of his car and confronting them. How dare you remind me that I wasn't paying attention? You want me to call the cops? And it's true. The police will always side with the sheeple because almost all of them are sheeple. The sheeple support endless wars and probably are the vast majority of volunteer soldiers. The fact that some of them are wounded or die in these wars doesn't deter their families from supporting the next unconstitutional and unnecessary foreign intervention. They sometimes receive medals posthumously. Flag-draped coffins never go out of style. This works with sheeple. Others, like my friend Cindy Sheehan or the family of former NFL player Pat uh, Tillman, can't be assuaged so easily. Nobody who dies in these banker wars, he says, is a hero. One of the greatest anti-war voices of the 20th century, JFK's father, Joe Kennedy Sr., once asked parents to give a single good reason why their children should die in any war. Yeah, he's got a pretty hot take here. We'll come back with more of uh, Donald Jeffrey's essay on We the People versus the Sheeple. 
By the way, I'm finding a little bit of crossover here in my life. I didn't know I had sheeple in me, but apparently I do. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. And uh, by the way, I would like to encourage you, if you haven't checked out my show notes, you can find them daily at thebrianhydeshow.com. Click on today's show notes. There's, there's a picture at the top of the page. This is an image that was snapped, um, let's see, April, April, April 12th of uh, 2014 at Bundy Ranch. You'll see a cowboy sitting atop a horse with an American flag held in one hand and uh, his cowboy hat in the other, his head bowed in prayer. I shared this because, well, I was there when that picture was taken. In fact, I think I took a picture myself from my cell phone. Uh, this is a nice, clear picture, though, and it's and it was just really stunning to see this unfold. Nonetheless, it's the saying that's on that picture that I want you to check out. Um, I think it's the attitude that we're going to have to adopt if we are going to thrive and survive. The, 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 the caption says, when people ask what you do, the answer you need to give is whatever it takes. Okay, we're not quitters. We're not going to roll over this. I don't. Want, I don't aspire to be a sheeple. And so, if if that's if that runs along the lines of how you, you know, determined to live your life, that's got to be your man, mantra too. Is, you know, I'll do whatever it takes to live as a free man or a free woman to you know, to cleanse the filth out of my kids' minds if, if someone's been trying to put it there, either in school or in the public library or whatever. I'm here to help them find their feet, become thinking, productive people, and, and hopefully do the same in my own life. So Donald Jeffries in his column says, well, look, we're kind of at war with ourselves here, people, with the sheeple. <laughs> it's them we must persuade and convert if we're ever to have enough of a majority to overthrow the yoke of tyrannical leadership. And he reminds us the sheeple are the ones who serve on the juries that send citizens to prison for life without parole on the basis of dubious, often retracted witness testimony. They understand reasonable doubt about as well as they understand the Bill of Rights. But they also perfectly are capable of acquitting defendants when the evidence seems stacked against them. They're especially effective at this when they're holding the fate of one of those incredibly rare, wealthy defendants or some kind of typically laughable America 2.0 celebrity in their hands. Now, he also points out the sheeple are the ones who vote the worst people on earth, our political representatives, back into office every election. An average rate of some 96%. That's a lower level of turnover than existed in, in the Politburo at the height of the Soviet Union. So it's something for the sheeple to be proud about. That assumes, of course, that they're counting the votes honestly or even counting them at all. But the, people, the, but the sheeple, he says, don't believe in the possibility of electoral fraud. The homeless begging? Sure, that's fraud. But our beloved leaders would never construct a system whereby it would be impossible to fire them by voting them out while insisting that you have the power. Every vote counts. Just make sure you vote for the incumbent. He says the sheeple were at their worst during the pandemic, the greatest psyop in the history of the world. Read about it all in his Masking the Truth, How COVID-19 Destroyed Civil Liberties and Shut Down the World, the most shadow-banned book in the world. He says try to rate it or review it on Amazon. Maybe they'll let you. Many have told me that their reviews were never put up. He says the sheeple have never been more sheeple-like than they've been since early 2020. 
wearing their ridiculous masks everywhere, even when driving alone in their cars, elbow bumping instead of shaking hands, no hugs or kisses, no farewells to grandma and grandpa, mindlessly accepting the jab, not protesting when kids suddenly start having heart attacks, absolute obedience. The sheeple are the ones who adore their, adorn rather their uh, vacuous social media pages with virtue signaling about being vaccinated and deep state propaganda like, I stand with Ukraine. Yeah, sure, they'll brag endlessly about the amazing accomplishments of their children or thought-provoking photos of their cats. But they'll wear pink during Breast Cancer Awareness Month and then not bat an eye as women continue to die from it, despite all the progress made from the billions which have been raised. And they tear up at the endless St. Jude's TV commercials, where half the time they reveal that the poor child in question has already died. But give us more money because we're doing wonders. He says, I tear up too when watching them, but for different reasons. The sheeple are the ones who create insane fads and trends. And this goes back centuries, as was documented in the still interesting book, Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. By the way, that's where you get that great quote about men go mad in herds, but come to their senses singly and one at a time. Those identifying as female, sheeple are particularly good at this kind of thing. Wildly overpriced gourmet cupcakes come to mind. Past examples include the mullet haircut or really big hair in general. That just didn't age well. Bell-bottom pants. Now jeans with holes ready-made in the knees. He says, I had a lot of pants that wound up like that. Who knew? If I could find them, I'd be on the cutting edge. A logical extension of this would be socks with ready-made holes in them. Now everyone has a nice collection of those. How about shirts with ready-made stains? The wrong people are already wearing pants that reveal their rear end crack. So, so many possibilities. So the sheeple are always enthusiastic when it comes to popular trends, which are dictated, of course, by the same corrupt authorities they inexplicably trust. Many of these trends nowadays come from some of the least educated minds out there. In the glamorized hood, pants worn hanging down below the waist, baseball cap worn sideways. But the sheeple faithfully follow, even to the point of culturally appropriating the pigeon English of the ghetto. Don't diss me, she's a hoe, my bad, what's up? They supposedly, the supposedly most intelligent among us, those with twice the IQs of those they emulate, throw up their hands and celebrate improper grammar as ebonics, as if it were Latin. These are the educated sheeple. They good. When you talk to the sheeple about the magic bullet in the JFK assassination or the collapse of Building 7 on 9-11, their misguided spidey sense gets activated. Uh Uh-oh, sounds like one of those conspiracy theories the pure-hearted, not overpaid investigative journalists on television warn us about. They know disinformation when they hear it. They're ready to call the if-you-see-something-say-something hotline, if it still existed. Of course, Alex Jones called it on air and found they never answered. It's a PSYOP thing. You wouldn't understand. They fear Hamas or ISIS or whatever the momentary terrorist du jour is being labeled, but the no not not but not the no knock SWAT team raids from their own law enforcement. Unless it happens to them, of course, which it never will. What do you care if you've got nothing to hide? He says sometimes I wonder what the ratio of of people to sheeple was at the time of the war for independence or during the Civil War. Surely there were plenty of them even then. But our founders certainly couldn't have started out the Constitution with we the sheeple because that would have been offensive. I mean, really offensive. I need a safe space with my support animal kind of offensive. He says, I think the founders spoke of an ideal people, one that would value and cherish their own liberty, 
Certainly today there are people, there are more people, well, sheeple that don't value their liberty than do. After all, they've heard that such things threaten democracy, like protesting the results of an election or questioning something about a widely reported event. He says, I am so grateful for the many people who contact me every day and say kind things about my work, who all do value their human liberty and furthermore care deeply about the woeful future we're ensuring for our grandchildren. Our children are already living it. They know the bleak reality of very few opportunities. If only a fraction of jobs that pay enough to live independently of, of letting alone, let alone building the middle-class lifestyle their parents enjoyed, of dating apps, potential lawsuits over an inappropriate touch or remark, of Bidenomics, which have left many of them relegated to taking Uber to their lowly paid job, a job that doesn't pay them enough money to buy their own vehicle and pump their own wildly overpriced gasoline. He says, look, I know that the sheeple are sound asleep. I've tried unsuccessfully to wake them up over the years. And he says, I know they'd be ungrateful, even if it were possible to help them. I know they'd call the authorities on me in a heartbeat if they were offered the most modest reward for reporting thought criminals. They'll talk behind your back, be unfaithful, be unappreciative, cause you pain, yet they maintain the ability to see themselves as being victimized. Looked at logically, he says, the people aren't worth caring about because so many of them are sheeple. But loving thine enemy as thyself obviously includes loving sheeple. He says power corrupts and should always be decentralized, even if those who benefit from it aren't worth it. Donald Jeffrey says, I can't help it. I was born a populist. There's more to this essay. I hope you'll take a look at it. I'm also including uh, oh, a fantastic article from uh, Daniel Mahoney about uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. If you want some real, authentic clarity... Nothing can spark the spirit like uh, the Gulag Archipelago. Why? Because uh, that's, it's, it's just some of the most solid philosophical and, and truthful writing that you'll ever encounter. And when you consider that it was uh, largely written as uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn suffered in a Soviet Gulag between 1945 and I believe about uh, um, 1954, yeah, Pretty eye-opening stuff. Thanks again for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. By the way, a special thanks to, to those of you who are so generous in, uh, in sharing your, your support for this program. I appreciate it more than you know. I Look, I, I'm never going to be a rich and famous kind of uh, media guy. But it makes me very happy to be able to speak truth on a daily basis and hopefully um, meet the need that some truth seekers have to find it. This is The Brian Hyde Show.